Welcome back to the Sermon Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Strother, and with me is my good friend, Brian Ball. And this season, we are walking through the entire Bible chronologically across all of our Brentwood Baptist campuses, and this week, we are taking a deeper look at the book of Leviticus. So everybody's favorite book of the Bible. It is. You it know, is. Uh, we jest, you know, that Leviticus is where Bible reading plans go to die. Yes. Uh, and, but the reality is, as we'll see today, there is so much in Leviticus for us to learn. So let's uh, be reminded where we're at in the big story. We've already talked about beginnings, right? Uh, about creation and the fall. Uh, we've talked about God's covenant people, which is yep. kind of big act two of the story. God calls Abram, who becomes Abraham yep. uh, and his family, and we get the storyline of the patriarchs. Yep. Then we hit Exodus, and we get God's people enslaved in Egypt, and God delivers and rescues them. But now, after 400 years under slavery, they don't know how to do anything but follow the, the commands of Pharaoh. Right. They need to learn the voice of God. Right. And so the back half of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is where we get the rest of the Torah, really the, the majority of it, uh, that has some narrative in it, but a lot of it is about the law. Right. Well, it's how do you live as a free people? Mm-hmm. Right, we've only known slavery, right? And for gen- ten generations, right, forty years is a generation. For yeah. ten generations, we've only known slavery. And so, how do we live as a free people? Mm-hmm. And Exodus showed us, right, the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, where, where, how do you bring the place that we commune with God? And then Leviticus brings about laws and laws on how do you interact with God and how do we interact with each other. And we saw a preview of that in the Ten Commandments. That's right, right. But then it's, but then it's supplemented yep. and expanded. Yeah, in Leviticus. our terminology, you know, you double click on the Ten Commandments right. and you get. Leviticus. Leviticus, right? Because God's people needed to know they needed step by step specific instructions, which sometimes can kind of frustrate us. Yes, uh, because you get into exacting detail uh, about things like how to deal with skin rashes and diseases or sacrificial systems, th- things that seem really obscure to us. That's why you have to keep zooming out and looking at the principles. So let's do a l- little Leviticus one hundred and one. Sure, uh, Leviticus means literally to the Levites, right. but more specifically, of course, it was written to the priests. Right. So keep that in mind when we get to. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, remember, was Moses retelling the law, the second law, to the people in the form of kind of sermons. Right. So this was kind of for the clergy, so to speak. Right. Uh, and so if you, again, you think about the, the the specificity, some people will look at, you know, guys like me and say, well, you guys have been to seminary. Right. And, and there's true, there's, there's a degree of complexity that we need to understand about theological issues and those kind of things. But on the other hand, clearly God's word is for all of God's people. That's exactly right. And, and so, so you, we get these kind of two tellings of the law in Leviticus 1 version meant to be interpreted and handled by the priest, but but with that came the great responsibility, as we'll see. Right, Well, but it's the intermediary, right? Yeah. And Christ supersedes that in his coming. So it's one more way, right? right? We see the, the preview of Christ coming. That's it. That there's this imperfect intermediary, the priestly line, mm-hmm. right, that stands between us, but Jesus comes from that line, right? Yeah. And, eventually, and eventually comes into being the ultimate priest. Yeah, and right? I think about this idea of like an instruction manual. Right. You know, yeah, that's great. we all know how our lawnmower is supposed to work. Right. But when something goes wrong, you dive in, you try to find page 47. Why is this carburetor not working properly? Right. You know, and you're, you're grateful to have that specificity because you've got to pinpoint what the problem is. Right. In the same way, there are these big principles that I think are easier for us to understand. We'll talk about some of those. But, but some of these laws give great specificity so God's people would know how to rightly relate to him. That's right. the, the first table of the, of the Ten Commandments. That's right. Right. Love God. And then the second table, which is the next six of the Ten Commandments, which is love 
others. That's right. And, and all of the law follows that pattern. It's That's all right. about how we rightly relate to God or how we relate to other people because we need that. That's right. And you mentioned the word freedom earlier. Yeah, it's ironic, I know, but it's true. We think that if we, we could just do things our way, it would be great, but that's false that's because exactly. you would be at the tyranny of the most selfish person in your community that's right. if there weren't guidelines, if there weren't laws. Nobody would be free, in right. other words. So for you to have ultimate freedom, you have to live under ultimate authority. Well, there's a wonderful book. It's a philosophy book. It's not something you kind of read on the beach for fun, but it's a book called Up With Authority. Yeah. And it says, it says that you know, we are most free in that same irony when we are, when we are under authority. And he talks about a symphony orchestra, right? We saw this magnificent orchestra on yeah, stage yesterday good. and said each of those players, right? There's a, those are session players, those are professional musicians. Yeah. They, any one of them could dazzle us with what they do. Sure. But they submit that gift to authority. That's good. And so they do things that they can't do individually. Mm-hmm. And these beautiful things come yeah. out. And we see that in God's authority with us, yeah. right? That we are able, that God's kingdom flourishes under his authority rather than under, like you say, some selfish means. And it ends up being the most powerful member of society That's right. that you end up being subject to. Yeah. But we are free, right, to be subject to God's law so we can most most flourish yeah. in the kingdom sense. That's a beautiful and helpful illustration because you imagine a million people have to move in unison. Right. They have to find food in unison. <laughs> they have to, you know, understand how to rightly relate to God in, in unison. They have to, to move together all these individual pieces, and, and there has to, has to be some guidelines to be able to do that. So yeah. as, as we, we noted yesterday in, in my sermon, it took just a night to right. get the people out of Israel, but it takes 40 years to get Egypt out of the people right. in the sense of them learning how to relate to God and others. Well, and that's, that's discipleship under, under the new covenant. Right, because we've got to figure out how to get the world out of us and to become more. And Paul talks about that maturing process, right, going from milk to meat. And so we mature as Christians. Mm-hmm. We even see what I think is interesting is when you read the New Testament, you see Paul maturing, right? Mm-hmm. Galatians was one of his early writings. He goes, you know, they should castrate themselves. You guys see this, you're like, wow. You know? and <laughs> Strong then, language. But then, you get, but then you get to Romans, and you get this beautifully almost pastoral and sympathetic language out of this same guy 10 yeah. years later. And you you see how the Holy Spirit has been working even in Paul's life, yeah. even through Scripture. Yeah. And so what he's done, right, the world, the Lord has taken the world out of him, right, slowly and piece by piece. And that's what we do in small groups. Yeah. That's and what we do in Speaking prayer. of my life group is going through Ephesians. And one of the interesting uh, things for me to see all of a sudden that I'm seeing more clearly as I'm reading Leviticus and Ephesians together is how many phrases Paul is uh, pulling from the Torah, oh, from yeah. the first five books of the, the Old Testament into even his conversation with the Ephesians, things that I just hadn't seen as clearly before, you know, and so it's it's really powerful. So again, another reason to read this is this was the Bible uh, that that the the, the the disciples had, right? Uh, this was the disciple the, the Bible of the first generation of Christians. The New Testament hadn't been brought, pulled together yet, and so when they refer to Scripture, they're referring to the Old Testament. Right. Well, and it changes how you understand the New Testament. When you realize yes. all of these echoes right, mm-hmm. that are coming forward, and you're like, wow, the greater context of that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Right. I love your neighbors yourself as we see come out of Leviticus. You see these echoes forward, and then you get with greater understanding, greater depth of where did that come from? What, what were the things going on mm-hmm. when that was spoken, when that was said, when God did that, when David wrote that in the yeah. psalm? Yeah. And it's just beautiful. If you just show up to the New Testament, it's like coming into the movie, right, two-thirds of the way through. Right. You're probably going to end up understanding what happened 
happens at the critical scenes of action, but you don't understand the rich backstory. Right. And so let's talk about some of those other things. You know, why, why would we study Leviticus as New Testament Christians? I quoted Alan Mosley yesterday, who's a seminary professor at one of our six seminaries at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so remember that Leviticus, Leviticus describes the, the entire religious system of ancient Israel. Yep. So if we want to understand how all of this stuff in the Old Testament works, we really need to understand Leviticus. Right. Well, it, t- it puts everything in, in perspective, mm-hmm. right? And, and one of the things we often think about, we often see pictures of the tabernacles. It's beautiful because they talk about, right, threads mm-hmm. of, of purple and blue and, and mm-hmm. everything covered in gold. And it's all splattered with blood. Yeah. Right? This thing. And there's got to be blood. You think a million people, these sacrifices by family, there's yeah. just blood everywhere yeah. in this beautiful. And so everything that God presented in beauty is covered with blood. And then we look at today. Mm-hmm. Right, and God gives us all these beautiful things, yet it's splattered with the blood of sin. Mm. Right, I mean, mm-hmm. all of these beautiful things, yeah. and then we see the consequence of sin. And I don't know that we see that as clearly yeah. until you see the Levitical system. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talked yesterday about how we're grateful that we don't have to offer these sacrifices. On the other hand, I think sometimes we don't take our sin as seriously as we should right. because we're not washing entrails and splattering blood on altars, and you know, again, we're we're distanced from that. Um, you know, in, in some ways. Well, and even more challenging, right, in, in, in an affluent community like ours, you can often use money to anesthetize yourself. That's right. right. As an anesthetic from these types of things. And so you can get an incredibly false purview if you're not if you're not careful yeah. and gracious with that to, to be in the word, to yeah. understand how God is working in, in the pain, right? In the mm-hmm. in the in the details of yeah. things. Yeah. So God wanted his people to know these things that's and right. that's important. It also, of course, talking about the blood, it provides the theological foundation for the atoning work of Christ. Right. So this idea of substitutionary atonement, right. you kind of get your fullest explanation of that, the different types of offerings, the, the different types of, of sacrifices. Uh, and of course, for us, the good news is, is that that mess that we make of things is covered by the blood of Christ. When it's fulfillment, mm-hmm. right? That's, that, that's what's so beautiful is all of those kinds of sacrifices. We're, we're satisfied in Christ. That's right. And that's just a stunning thing. Right? We had all these different types of sacrifice, all these different things, and all of that. One, once for all. Once for all. I mean, I don't. That, it, that's just almost hard to, well, it is. It's very hard to yeah. grasp and yeah. even conceive the graciousness of God in that act. Absolutely. Right, the graciousness of God in, in, in relieving us of those obligations, going, you can't do it anyway. And so I've sent my son yeah. to take care of that for you. Yeah. Yeah. And as we talked about yesterday, you know, again, these are God's words that have been preserved for us. That's right. While we're no longer kind of under the law, uh, it's God's inspired word to us. Right. And, and so it's important for us to remember, it says when God spoke, you know, the, these are God's words directly to Moses that then he wrote down for the Israelites and, and then ultimately would be passed to us. Right. When Paul writes about that, right, in Romans 7, where he says, is the law sin? He said, of course not. He said, without the law, I would not know what sin was, mm-hmm. right? I would not know it was, it was sin to covet had the, had the scripture not told me. Yeah. That's what he, what he says. And so the law points out what mm-hmm. sin is. That's right. And that's critically important. It's just that the law can't bring us all the way home to exact. salvation. It's the salvific part. Yeah, that's and exactly so it's right. uh, Galatians 3 where Paul describes the law as a tutor. I love that. What a great word picture, right? It's a tutor. It was there to teach us. Yep. Here's what sin looks like. Here's the ways we fall short. Now, now this law can't save you. Right. Only Jesus can save. Right. Uh, And of course, he was very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't come to abolish the law. Right. But to fulfill it. That's right. So we always have to be careful as New Testament Christians because sometimes we have this oversimplistic law bad, grace good. Right. 
Well, we can argue that the law was a great grace. It is. Because it shows you your need for salvation. Right, and it is a great grace. And not just was, but is, right? Because you see the sacrificial system and you understand what Christ did for us in great depth. Yeah. Right, you understand what what we would have to do, yeah. right, to, to accomplish salvation for ourselves. And there's no way, yeah. absolutely no way we could ever do that. Yeah, and, and you know, these, these writings are so interwoven into the New Testament that a lot of times the New Testament writers like Paul or James, who came out of a, of a, of a Jewish background as well, they, they don't even explain them. Right. They just assume that, <laughs> that their audience know. is familiar with them That's because right. many of the first Christians came from a, from a Jewish background. So yeah. again, all, all good reasons to study Leviticus. So if you look at Leviticus in an outline, there, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. One is, is that there's kind of two sections. Sacrifice is the first 17 chapters, kind of focusing on the, the sacrificial system, how we approach God. Uh, and then uh, chapters 18 through 27, sanctification, which is how we continue uh, our fellowship with God and and with fellow man. One of the really interesting things, and I'm going to get nerdy here for just a second, uh, there's a literary device that's used a lot in Scripture. It's called the chiasm. Mm. The Jewish people really love this. And yes. so so it's how these books of the Bible are literary masterpieces on their own, regardless right. of what you believe about them, right? They're just brilliantly put together. And so the chiasm in the book of uh, Leviticus runs to the Day of Atonement in chapter 16 and 17. Wow. So you've got ritual and ritual. You've got priests and priests. You've got laws and laws. And then what you have right in the heart of the book is the Day of Atonement, which is the atoning sacrifice, right. which is, is, again, really, again, pointing us to Christ, pointing us to what he would do. So even the book itself pivots around that structure. But uh, again, about sacrifice and sanctification. There's a theologian by the name of John Luther Mays who did this interesting little theological outline. I'm just going to walk through it really quick because I think it's fascinating to think about it from a logical standpoint. So if we had this question, right, how do sinful and defiled people offer worship to a holy God and maintain fellowship with him? Remember at the end of Exodus, this great epic book, and it's left with the tabernacles built, but nobody can go in it. Right. God's glory comes down and it inhabits the tabernacle, but the people can't go in because they've sinned. Right. They've, they've worshiped the golden calf. So what do we do with that? Well, Chapters 1 through 7, here's the sacrifices that you make for your forgiveness, your sin offering, and then if you've already done that, your peace offering and your fellowship offering so you can be rightly related to God. How will their sacrifices reach God in worship, and how will God reach them? Well, God uses the priests as those mediators, which, again, points us to Christ, who is our great high priest, and then ultimately to the fact that God had called way back in Exodus the nation to be a kingdom of priests. That's right. That they would be the ones to carry that message to the world. Mm. And so we see that pulled forward in the New Testament, again, where we get to be a kingdom of priests, it tells us in First Peter, yeah. who get to carry the gospel to the world. That's awesome. So how will the holiness of God dominate uh, this, the everyday life? The answer is the manual of purification. Right. So that reminder that we we always need to, to you know, confess, so to speak, you know, say, I'm sorry, it's in simplest terms, right. or say, I'm thank you for right. what God has done as we approach him. And then the last question, how, how will people obey God so that holiness becomes a way of life, and that's the rest of the book. How you live these things out with your fellow man, right? And, that, and put them into practice. And that's so critically important, right? Of of putting those things in practice. Because getting head knowledge of this is fine, yeah. But it's got to change how we live. Exactly. It's got to change, and not just in what we do, but why we do it, right? What are our heart toward these things? Mm-hmm. And that's what's beautiful to coming out of Leviticus, yeah. I think. Yeah. And a lot of scholars know, you know, there there are three broad categories of law. This is one of those things. I didn't have time to get into it with the sermon yesterday, but there's the moral law, yep. which is still applicable. Right. Do the Ten Commandments still apply? Right. Yes. 
Uh, we talked about that, that one of the grids for understanding this is to say, does the New Testament repeat what the Old Testament taught? Right. Clearly, the Ten Commandments are repeated. Right. And, and so so now we understand them in the light of who Christ is. Right. Sabbath is one of those examples. Yep. So it's the principle there that matters. As Jesus himself said, Man, uh, Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's right. Uh, and so we don't want to go overly legalistic with, with those kind of laws and things. But the idea, the principle still very much applies. Well, and he deepens it into our hearts, right? Right, when he says, right, you you, know, you say it's wrong to murder, but I tell you, right, if you're angry with your brother, yeah. you've already murdered him, right? If you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery, to which we all go, yikes. Yeah, right? Jesus actually intensifies the law, That's right. you know, in the Sermon on the Mount to, again, show us that we cannot keep it. Right. But even if we keep it externally, our heart exactly. is still stained by sin. That's exactly and if left right. to our own devices, we're going to go down that path every single time. So that's the moral mm-hmm. law. It's yep. designed, right? These things are always true. And, and by the way, you know, many, many great, if you're thinking about apologetics and application of this, the moral law to me is, as I've found in conversation, one of the most compelling ways to help people understand yes. that there is a God. Yes. Because these, these laws don't just come out of thin air. Well, if they if they do, then you've got to kind of figure out where, who whose thin air you're taking out of. That's right? right, and that's that's what it always comes back to is what's the basis mm-hmm. for these things. And we've heard heard people say, "Well, it's just everybody understands this." It's like, well, because it's violated in multiple times yesterday. That's probably not right. the case, right? And, and so there's got to be an anchor for those things, mm-hmm. and that's what's so beautiful. And we and and that the Lord gave us a Bible, right? A scripture to have yeah. those things anchored in for a sufficient revelation yep. is just spectacular. Yeah, I'm sorry. absolutely. Yeah, so no, that's yeah. so good. So moral law. <laughs> then we've got the social law, and that's how the nation of Israel was to interact with each other, right? And so that's where you have a lot of these, uh, you know, kind of more detailed laws that may seem obscure to us, but but are important. And then you have, of course, the ceremonial law, which has to do with the sacrificial system and the rituals right. and the things that they that they went through, and we have rituals today of our own. Absolutely, um, you know the way that we, the rhythms and the things that we appreciate, the ways that we go about things. So yeah. when you begin to think about it, you know, yeah, this some of these things were unique to their time and culture, but the principles very still much are at play in well, our world. Baptism, today. for instance, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a ritual, and there are there are things, and what's really cool about it, and like communion, right? Those things unify us not only across time but across geography. Yeah, right. Christians have been doing these for thousands of years. People do this all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to think in those moments of the grace of God yeah. to give us, independent of culture, independent of time, independent of geography, that he gives us these things that bring us mm-hmm. together, that unify us as one, as a body. And that's I think that's just an awesome and beautiful right yeah. picture of what he does. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, let's think critically for a minute about some of the specific laws and just uh, even have kind of some fun with this conversation because this is what I'm getting stopped in the grocery store about or in the hallway <laughs> of the church, which I love. Let me say that. I love that our entire church family across all nine campuses, they're talking about the Bible. Yep. Hey, help me understand what this means. Help me understand context for these things. So what's interesting is, is, you know, knowing what we know now, we might look at these ancient laws and be like, man, those things are archaic. They make no sense. But it was fascinating to me the first time or the last time that, that you and I did this, it was 2020, and we yep. took the Station Hill campus through the Bible. Yep. Well, think about the time of year that we're in. It's late February. What happened in early March? COVID. <laughs> yep. And so we had literally just been reading about if somebody's sick, send them outside the camp. Right. Now, reading that out of context, you're like, man, we, you send a sick person away. That right. seems so, you know, That's crazy. unsympathetic you, and yeah. these kind of things. But remember... We're thousands of years from mankind discovering bacteria right. and germs and communicable diseases. 
Again, God as creator knew what would happen if a virus took root in the camps of Israel. It could wipe out all million people. There's no antibiotics. There's no right. doctors. There's no hospitals. There's no emergency rooms. There's none of that. So God was doing what? He was protecting that's the people. Right. So that's what right. might on the surface appear to be like, man, that's harsh. Dude's sick, man. Kick him out. <laughs> Go live outside the camp. Be away from your family and friends for very specified periods of time, seven but, weeks or, or seven days, days or 14 days or a month. or you know. But, but what was God doing? He was protecting his people. That's right. You know, Same thing about boils and skin rashes and you know all of these things. Dr. Pimple Popper, right? right. In, in, in the book of Leviticus, those things are all there for the protection of God's people. Yeah, a friend of mine was head of internal medicine over at Vanderbilt and we were we were buddies and we were talking one time and and he said uh, at the turn of the of the 20th century of so 1900 mm-hmm. you could go in and when you were having a child you could either have the nuns deliver it or the doctors and everybody would choose the nuns because their survival rate was so much higher wow because there was ceremonial between each birth they would ceremonially wash their hands uh. and not spread the disease from child to child whereas the doctors didn't do that Wow, and he was always amazed that Scripture, right, three thousand, yeah. four thousand yeah. years ago, knew what would save these children. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just amazing that even in the, even in a time, right, we think of you know, 1900s, not that far back compared to three thousand yep. BC, you know, three thousand years ago. Um, but it's it's amazing that those principles still hold today yeah. and very actively hold today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so from a medical sense, that makes sense. Yep. Uh, from a health and dietary standpoint, oh, yes. there's all this these lists of foods that are prohibited, you know, and it's like, you know, we're going through the list and it's like, you know, don't eat rats. Okay. That's pretty <laughs> gross. Right. Don't eat bats. You know, it's, it's I'm good. Pretty, you yeah. know, I'm good. But then you get to like pork, right. like don't mess with my bacon or my barbecue exactly. Lord. Right. But, but what was the point of all of that? Was, was to stay, stay pure, pure toward Christ. And when you, when you think about it just in a practical sense of handling pork, right, until we had refrigeration, yes. that's very, very difficult to handle that. And a lot of foodborne disease comes through that. Exactly. And so without, without some of the modern technologies we have, that's a very unsafe thing yeah, to handle. Yeah, the foods that are listed are the foods that are the most likely to cause disease and to spoil right. quickly. And there's a thing called trichinosis, right? right? If you eat undercooked pork, like you yeah. will literally go mad. Like, yes. That's one of the side effects. I, you know, shellfish. Right. Uh, I once had a, a guest from Asia, from a landlocked country, and he tried a little bit of crawfish with our life group. Well, guess what? We spent that night at the Williamson ER wow. because of a shellfish allergy. Wow. Again, these people, you know, down in Egypt, they weren't eating lobster right. and crab and shrimp, <laughs> right. you know. And so what is it? Probably, you know, one of the, the most allergic things that people are allergic to is shellfish. Right. And so, again, God's just protecting his people with these dietary restrictions and yeah. laws. And, it's, and that's just, again, just amazing that he does this unbeknownst to the principles that we have now learned, yeah. which also gives us science, right? Yeah. You're not going to discover anything in the science right. that God hasn't put there. Yep. Right. It's not. They're not in a competition. Nope. It's. It's that all God truth is, is God's truth. Right. Well, and all truth lands on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. Is the really cool yeah. part. Jesus is the truth. truth. Right. Ephesians and so, 4. if you're earnestly seeking the truth, you always land on Jesus. That's why I'm never nervous about you know witnessing to someone who's very intellectual. Because if you're earnestly seeking the truth, yeah. earnestly want it, I know where this is going to land. Don't know how it's going to get there. Yeah. But I know where we're going. Yep. And we see that. But we see that in all science. That it mm-hmm. all is just revelation of what God's put there for yep. us. And it's beautiful. 
absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> it's it's such so, so, so many good threads here. You know, one of the things I've got a lot of questions about is tattoos. Yeah. Very popular form of self-expression in right. our world today. Uh, but if you look again at the context in Leviticus 19, where that prohibition is given against tattoos, tattoos were a mark of the occult. Right. It was the mark. You took a tattoo. You didn't take it as a form of self-expression. You took it as a sign of allegiance. You were literally being branded in the worship of Baal right. or Ashtoreth or right. one of these Canaanite gods. And so for, for the Israelites, they understood that, that that's what getting a tattoo was all about. It wasn't a form of self-expression or getting the names of your, you know, your, your sweetheart or your kids tattooed on your arm or something. This was, this was a, an allegiance. You were declaring a lifelong allegiance to a pagan God, right. hence the prohibition. So you do a little digging and, and, you know, cause I know in my gospel conversation, sometimes this is one of people's favorite things to bring up. Well, the Bible says you can't have tattoos, but you can't, you know, so the Bible's inconsistent. It's like, no, no, no let's, 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 let's talk about what that yes, means. Let's be intellectually honest. <laughs> right. And let's take the Bible on its own terms and let's look at it in its historical and cultural context and understand that. Uh, it's interesting, the mixing of fabrics. Right. Oh, yesterday, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a shirt under my jacket that is a mixture of cotton and polyester. Was I sinning? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no is the short answer. Right. But so what's that story about? Well, if you read carefully. The only the priests wore garments that were of mixed threads, mm. mixed fabrics. So the idea was the common people were not supposed to do that. Why? Because yeah. that was a way that the priests were set apart in the culture. Wow. And so it's that idea, again, that some things God wants us to remain sacred. Right. And he wants those things to be distinct and set apart so that we will honor them and we'll understand their purpose. Right, which leads back to holiness. It does. Right, it leads back to Leviticus 19 that you preached from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Be holy. Yep. Because I, the Lord, your God am holy. Yeah. And and how seriously God took it, right? With especially with Aaron's son. Yeah. Where we see, you know, they wanted to worship on their own terms. Yeah. And that did not work out well. Yeah. That did not yeah. work out so well. So in chapter 10, you know, one of these narratives that is embedded, there's not a whole lot in the book of Leviticus, but is embedded is this is this story. And I think it's there for a purpose. So anytime you're reading law and all of a sudden, boom, story, yeah. it gets captured for a reason. Right. So, so you know, so the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, if I'm saying that correctly, um, there's the ceremony. God has has lit on fire the altar in the tabernacle after the tabernacle is completed. It's kind of a high point for the worship of Israel. But then Nadab and Abihu decide they're going to do their own thing and take their own fire from their censer and and light light it on fire and God's like whoosh right and he consumes them right. by fire and they're gone and so this idea of our God is a consuming fire beautiful right magnificent spectacular but also terrifying right in the sense of the holiness of God has to be respected you don't come to God on your own terms that's exactly right and there are specific ways we worship god specific ways and and those things are god honoring and and i think we miss it with this god is my homeboy right god <laughs> right. is my we miss yeah. the the otherness of god a lot of times and jesus is our friend there's a sense in which that's very true right but there's also a very true sense that yeah. he is other there's than a us. ditch we can fall into either side of the road right. exactly. over familiar and too comfortable with jesus where he's just another you know voice in my life right. not the authoritative voice right. on the other hand Right, we become you know so terrified of a transcendent God that we we you know view Him as unapproachable and is out there somewhere you know, but not a God who came to us. The, the Bible calibrates those carefully, but in our era, if we fall into a ditch, it tends to be the one of we are over familiar and over comfortable with a holy God. That's right. Where there's nothing that's reverent, nothing that's sacred, nothing that's distinct or set apart in our in our lives or in our world any longer, and that's to our detriment. Right. Well, that's what's so important about sanctuary. 
right? Because a sanctuary is where sacred things happen. Mm-hmm. And we see so many churches that kind of turn themselves into, you know, play, they don't have a sacred space. Yeah. And I think really important things happen in sacred spaces. Yeah. And, and so that's something for us to be conscious of. Yeah, right? we're going to wrestle with that in a couple of weeks as we continue numbers. We're going to get into the tabernacle, right? right? And we're going to get into to the reality of, of that sacred space idea. So God can't dwell. He, he isn't limited to, to buildings made by human hands. Right. That, that is true in the Bible. And the Bible is very clear on that. Yet at the same time, God knows that we need That's right. a sense of reverence and awe That's right. and holiness. That's right. And so he creates these spaces. And of course, eventually, we know, tease it out, right? His son tabernacles right. among us. Right. And the Holy Spirit in us means our bodies are tabernacles. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves no, there, but I get excited. I get, <laughs> yeah. you know, but but I, we do want people to see those threats. That's right. You know? That's right. And and, it, and it's just awesome. that And, and right after right, Be Holy, he talks about how we interact. Because Jesus says there are two, two, right, when asked what are the greatest commandments, he said, love your God with all your heart. So my, and, then, and then the second is life. Like it, love your neighbor, and that comes out of Leviticus 19. It does of, of all places, places. and it kind of embedded in there. Yep. You know, it's just just it's just in there at the end of verse 18. It is, and we hear right in the New Testament that the the uh, the uh, gentleman that's querying Christ says, "Well, who is my neighbor?" Mm-hmm. But because he already knows how to love his neighbor, because yeah. that's specified in Leviticus. That's right, and he honesty. tells the story of the Good Samaritan. That's exactly right. And so what, what does that mean for us? Well, the, the, as we walked through some of the passages in Leviticus 19, we see the principle of gleaning. Don't that's right. uh, allow the grain to fall at the edges of your field. Don't right. harvest it all. Why? Because God cares about the poor. That's right. And he wants them to have food. And again, a fun link I didn't have time to talk about yesterday, but we're going to see that come front and center in the story of Boaz and Ruth. Absolutely. Because God cares about these widows, Ruth and Naomi, who don't have any food. Boaz, one of the signs that he's a righteous man in an unrighteous time, the time of the judges, he's still following this Levitical law. That's right. You see, God was providing for a hungry widow centuries later right. with this law all the way back in Leviticus. Right, and it's echoed in Deuteronomy 24, right? Don't go over your your fruit trees a second time, right? Leave some for the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner. And it's it's beautiful how God calls us today to leave that space, right? Rachel and I have said our ministry for the last few decades has been whoever's beaten and half dead in our path is who the Lord has us to work with. And so we've just spent years just whoever the beaten and half dead are, putting them on our donkey, bandaging them up and taking them to the end. But but we can leave space in our life Mm -hmm. for that provision. It's such an important principle. We think about financially, but even with our time. That's right. We fill up our calendars with every minute, you know, we're rushing from this thing to that, and then we're like, you know, God, but we, we don't see you at work. You know, God, I want to be used by God. Well, God's like, well, this person needed prayer. This person needed a listening ear. This right. need, person needed wise counsel. I put them all in your path, but you were too busy to pay attention. That's Leviticus right. teaches, right? Don't don't fill up all of your time. Don't right. account for every dollar, right, right, being spent on you selfishly. Right. Leave some for those who are in need. Right. And it's a beautiful principle. And it's just so critical for, for us to function as human beings. Yeah. Right, because we fill our time to the brim and over. And the Lord says, and we talked about this in Sabbath, right, back in Genesis, that we, you know, so much of our mental, emotional, physical problems are due to lack of Sabbath, mm-hmm. are due to not leaving a margin in your life yeah. for God to work. Yeah. Right. And so it's that's just a beautiful principle to take out of this, that the holiness of God comes out of you honoring him with your money and your time. Yeah. That's just yeah. Awesome. So, so again, unpack those laws, you know, get get to the big picture. Why did God give this to the people? Yep. And, and how do I apply that? Most 
of us aren't farmers. Right. So, you know, we don't get to leave, you know. So it, it doesn't mean that, you know, when you mow your lawn, you, you can leave, leave the, the weeds. Edge, right? Yeah, that's uh, not the application here. It's that you leave something for the poor. You leave margin and space for those in need. That's right. Uh, which is incredible. And, again, we could go on, and we're, we're really kind of running to the edge of our time here. But, but I, I want to repeat something that I said yesterday. You know, if you want to learn how to love, to love God and love others, Learn the law. I love that. Feels counterintuitive to us in so many ways, right? But if you want to know how, how to live, live yep. a, a God-honoring life that, that helps you look more like Jesus yep. and helps you be Jesus to others, yep. then learn the law and learn and watch how Jesus applied the law right. uh, in the fulfillment of that law. And know that, again, it shows our need for him yep. because only he could fulfill the law perfectly yeah. and be the perfect sacrifice and substitute for us. And if you love me, you will obey my commands. And you have to know his commands to be able to obey them. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. That's just awesome. Yeah. Well, right. man, we about got carried away <laughs> yeah, with Leviticus. Uh, we could go on and on, but it has been so good today. And so that's it for today's episode uh, of the Sermon Notes podcast. We hope you found our discussion helpful. If you did, help us out by leaving a review in your podcast app or dropping a comment in the YouTube comments below. If you have questions about anything you've read, leave those in the comments as well, and we'll try to answer a few next week. As always, thank you for listening and watching, and we will see you next week.